I wonder how many of you are familiar with the concept of selective hearing. What was that, John? I said selective hearing. Hands up, John. (laughs) Selective hearing. Selective hearing is the human brain's remarkable ability to focus in on one sound or voice while tuning out other sounds or voices. And on the one hand, selective hearing is a tremendous blessing. So imagine, right, imagine walking into a cocktail party and not being able to discern the voice of the person standing in front of you because of all the noise around you. Or think of the parent who's able to pick up the sound of their child who's crying in the middle of a moon bounce filled with shouting children. That's a blessing. You know, a little different twist as a, as a dad of a five-week-old son. I, too, have selective hearing. And I am grateful for the fact that there are some nights when my brain never tunes into the sound of the crying child down the hall. The jury's out on whether or not my wife thinks that's a blessing or a curse to our family. But I, for one, right now, am grateful for selective hearing. In many respects, it's a blessing. But selective hearing can also be a real danger. Think of the little child running toward the street who never hears his dad screaming, Stop! There's a car coming! Well, why? Because he's so focused on the football. Or think of a lumberjack who whose ears are so full of the roar of his chainsaw that that he's not able to discern or pick out the crack of a limb breaking above his head. Or think of a teenager who's so consumed, so focused in on listening to his video game console that he doesn't hear the fire alarm blaring downstairs. Those are real dangers. And in all three of those cases, unless the person suffers from physical hearing loss, which some of us do, the problem is not so much if they hear, follow me, but how they hear. Not so much if they hear, but how they hear. In other words, it's possible to hear physically in the sense that a sound wave penetrates your ear canal and vibrates the appropriate bone. But you don't hear mentally in the sense that that vibration registers in your consciousness, is recognized as important, and prompts you to alter your physical behavior accordingly. We hear, but we don't hear. And the same principle applies to our spiritual discernment. It's possible to hear truth about God by reading the Bible, listening to me right now, listening to Christian music, observing the created world, and yet not hear the truth about God because you don't receive what you see or trust what you hear or obey what you read. 
We hear, but we don't hear. And I think most of us are comfortable, or at least aware of, the consequences of failing to hear physically. You could probably bring up your own examples of selective hearing gone awry. But what I don't think we're often as aware of is the consequences of failing to hear spiritually. Enter Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. In the first three chapters of Mark, people around Jesus have all kinds of reactions to the man. If you're not familiar with the book of Mark, it's a story about Jesus. In the first three chapters, people respond to the guy in all kinds of different ways. Some try to follow him, some just tolerate him, some try to kill him. What's really clear by Mark 4 is that we're not dealing with a gentle Palestinian shepherd with curly locks and a train of perpetually happy children. Jesus, first three chapters of Mark, he's a divisive man. In the sense that he creates divisions among people in the ways they respond to him. And in Mark 4, Jesus tells us why that happens. Why is it that some people ignore him and other people follow him? And in the process of explaining all the various responses to himself, Jesus gives us a sobering spiritual warning. And it's this, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. If you're looking for a goal for 2015 because you haven't even thought about that yet, here's one for you. Take care how you hear. Look with me at Mark 4, verse 1. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. 
when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. Friends, the parable of the sower, which some of us are very familiar with, uses a physical analogy to make a spiritual point. That's what's going on. Take care how you hear. Whereas Jesus says in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus makes that point. Take care how you hear by illustrating two things. Two things he illustrates in this parable. One, the nature of the word. We're going to look at what that is. And two, our response to the word. The nature of the word, our response to the word. So let's first consider the nature of the word. The nature of the word. Look at verse 14. Jesus tells us in verse 14 that the seed in the parable represents the word. And we know from Mark 2, 2 that the word is another way of referring to the content of Jesus' teaching. That's what the Word is. It's the content of Jesus' teaching. Well, what was He teaching? Look at verse 11. And He said to them, or He taught them, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. What's up with that? Well, the first thing Jesus tells us about the nature of the word is that it's a mystery in the sense that some people understand it and some people don't. But what is it they don't understand? They don't understand the secret of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, to borrow Graham Goldsworthy's summary, is three things. It's God's people in God's place, under God's rule. Where God's people are in God's place, under God's rule, you have the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is present when those things are present. But of course, the challenge with that definition is that most of us, if we're honest, we don't feel like we're living in the kingdom of God. We don't. The kingdom of God sounds like a a place of peace and prosperity. And friends, we live in a world of pain and suffering. To which Jesus says, correct. 
correct. You do live in a world of pain and suffering. In other words, you were not born into the kingdom of God. You were born into the kingdom of this world. You were born into a world living in rebellion against my rule. That's why there's so much pain and suffering in the world. Your hearts are neither inclined nor gladly submitted to doing what I made you to do. You are hell-bent on doing what you want to do. And you're suffering the consequences of your rebellion. You need a Savior. I am that Savior. That was Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. That was his message. A good Jew, on some level, knew that. They knew that. They knew from the Old Testament scriptures that a day was going to come when the kingdom of God would show up, when God would undo the curse of sin, restore our relationship with our Creator, and make all things new. They knew that was coming. But what they didn't realize, what was hidden from their sight, is that He was standing in front of them. (laughs) That's what they didn't realize. The Word in terms of God's plan to bring his kingdom to pass on earth, it wasn't just a promise. It was a person. It was a person we've been singing about. That was the secret of the kingdom of God. Namely, that God wasn't going to make all things new by showing up on earth And wiping everybody out. Except the Jews. The secret of the kingdom was that God himself would bring his kingdom to pass by taking on human flesh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross as our substitute for our sin. That was the secret. Nobody saw that didn't. They knew they needed a Savior, but no one figured out the Gospel. God had to reveal that mystery, and He revealed the mystery in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. Which meant that redemption was literally looking them in the eye. And healing was staring them in the face. And in Mark 4, Jesus' followers have yet to realize His identity And exactly how he would bring the kingdom of God to pass. But they're in process. They're in process. They're they're starting to understand who he is and what he came to do. And that, Jesus says, sets them apart from the rest of the crowd. Look at verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, quote, they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Question. Are you saying, Jesus, along with the prophet Isaiah you just quoted, that you deliberately spoke in parables so people wouldn't understand the gospel? Because if that's what you're saying, that's mildly offensive to me. Maybe you thought that or felt that as I was reading his words. That's precisely what Jesus is saying. 
And yes, he was a divisive, offensive man. Because the word wasn't just a mystery. It wasn't just a person. It was an expression of judgment. Listen to Isaiah 6, where Jesus quoted from. The Lord commissions Isaiah with these words. Isaiah was a prophet to Israel. He commissioned him with these words. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. How did Isaiah do that? How did Isaiah make Israel dull to the truth of God's offer of forgiveness and reconciliation? You know what he did? He kept right on proclaiming it. That's how he did it. And every time Israel refused to listen, every time she refused to repent of trusting in her own power and wealth to save her, Instead of trusting God to save her, her heart became hardened. Entrenched in her stubborn ways. Every time she refused to receive God's offer, her heart became increasingly hardened to God's offer. It wasn't that God had not put an offer on the table. She refused to listen. At a certain point, the Lord decided, I will restrain my hand no longer. And he righteously judged her for failing to repent. And Babylon came in and decimated Jerusalem. That's a real story. And the Jews listening to Jesus had heard that story since they were kids. But friend, what they didn't realize was that that story wasn't just a page from the past. It was a picture of the present. Because the promised Messiah was standing before them. Speaking, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. What? Repent and believe the gospel. God hadn't sent a prophet this time. He sent his son. Many of them were not listening to him either. Some did. Some did and chose to follow Jesus along with the twelve, but many did not. Many refused To those who did, Jesus continued to reveal the secret of the kingdom of God, the knowledge of the gospel as an act of sovereign grace. But to those who did not, please hear this, Jesus continued to speak only in parables until they repented of their pride and unbelief. That's what's happening. The word was a mystery revealed in a person And it was a word of judgment. Jesus used the fact that some chose to follow him and some didn't 
to make a powerful point to his followers. It's not if you hear that makes the difference. It's how you hear. Because there's a hearing, there's a kind of hearing that leads to spiritual hardness and death. And there's another kind of hearing that leads to spiritual fruitfulness and life. Take care how you hear. And as Jesus challenged his followers, friends, so he challenges you and me. Consider your response to the word when you read it, when you listen to it, or when you have it taught to you. What's your response? How do you respond to the claim King Jesus makes on every area of your life? In other words, how do you hear? Because in Jesus' explanation of the parable... He tells us how to hear in a way that leads to spiritual fruitfulness and life. He tells us. It's good news. So look at verse 14. How do we hear rightly? First, we have to gladly receive the word. It's the first thing that sets apart right hearing. Gladly receive the word. Verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Whether you realize it or not, your entire life is playing out in the middle of a spiritual war zone. It is. And that's true whether or not we realize it. And the fact that we can't see the opposing forces with our our physical eyes doesn't make them any less real. Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when it comes to spiritual forces of evil, to Satan, who is real, as real as God is real, there are two equally dangerous moves we can make. Move number one, pretend he's not. Allah, ignore him. The Apostle Peter says that's as insane as ignoring a roaring lion standing on the path in front of you. Who would do that? Well, that's precisely what we do when we ignore the activity of the evil one. That's danger one. Danger two is to see Satan in every spiritual nook and cranny. So did you mouth off at your boss this week? Yeah. Dang devil made me do it. I've heard that. How was your week? I got angry with my kids. Devil's getting on me again. Heard that too. Is that right? Yes and no. Yes in the sense he's real, but no in the sense that we don't face one enemy. Friend, we don't we don't have just one enemy. It's a threefold enemy, three parts. The world around us, sinful desires within us, and the devil. And in any given situation, typically all three are at work. But in this chapter, in this chapter, Jesus highlights a temptation that is one of the devil's favorite weapons. And because he's real, 
I want to alert you to this. What's the temptation? Verse 15. To completely ignore the word of God. That's the temptation. That's a weapon of the evil one. It's all too easy to sit here on Sunday morning because your parents brought you or a friend brought you or a relative or neighbor brought you and pay less attention to the spiritual realities being set before you than you will to the halftime commercials this afternoon. And when a call to respond to the gospel is set before you, you pull out a list of reasons why it's not necessary. Aren't, aren't all religions equal? Can anyone actually know who God is? Isn't being nice to people what matters most? I mean, even if God is real, I was confirmed as a child. I've given money to God. I mean, I'm a, I'm a decent person. I'm not like that guy. What more could he want from me? And I'll tell you what he wants. He wants your heart. He's jealous for your affection. Why? Because God has a self-esteem problem and he just needs more pity? No. No, absolutely not. Because he made you to know him. He made you to find your greatest joy in knowing Him and loving Him and living for Him. He longs to redeem you. He longs to restore you. Listen, He longs to adopt you as His son or daughter so that you can find your identity and worth in Him instead of in your job and your kids. So stop ignoring Jesus. When a pastor preaches His word, friend, receive it. Receive it. When your parents speak his word, young person, receive it. Receive it. When one of your coworkers or neighbors or or relatives loves you enough to to confront you with the word, to, to get it in your face, receive it. Don't allow the the devil to steal it away. It's his favorite weapon. Don't let him use it. Because the longer you delay, maybe some of you right now are are thinking in your mind, I can wait. I'm not quite ready to follow Jesus. You know what's happening to you right now? Your heart is getting hard. The Lord says, today is the day of salvation. Today. That's not some crazy prophecy for your grandkids. That's for you now. Stop ignoring Jesus. Stop ignoring him. Receive the word. That's the first way we got to hear. Take care of you here. How do we do that? Receive the word. Second, second, receive the word, trust the word. Oh, and there's a difference. There's a difference. The word must be wholly 
trusted. Why do I say that? Well, because merely accepting, even gladly accepting the truth about God is not sufficient. I'll say that again. Merely accepting, acknowledging, even gladly accepting and acknowledging the truth about God is not sufficient. If you are to endure in the faith and make it home to glory, you must receive the word and you must trust the word. And you trust the word by sending down a root of rock-solid faith into the person and work of Christ. That's how you trust the word. You don't just acknowledge its truthfulness, having accepted and acknowledged it. You trust it. You cling to Christ. You place your reliance, your dependence solely on him. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation, we're familiar with that, or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Do you realize that's, that's not a hypothetical? That's possible. Enough with listening to scriptures like this and saying, well, I'm so glad that's never true for me. That's dangerous. That's a lie. It might be true for you. So you need to listen. Following Jesus is not a path of prosperity and ease. Some of you may have never heard that before. Lord, protect us from men who only preach that. Why do I say that? Following Jesus is not a path of prosperity and ease. Because, examples, denying yourself sexual gratification outside of marriage happens to be painful. Abandoning the treasures of this world through radical generosity is uncomfortable. Reconciling a broken marriage hurts. Patiently serving an ungrateful in-law or a whining toddler experience gets old quickly. Trusting God when life doesn't make sense is emotionally more difficult than deciding he must not be real. Defending your faith when professors and classmates think you're a bumbling idiot is humiliating. Choosing to birth a child with Down syndrome to honor the sanctity of human life will cost you something. It's not easy to bless the name of the Lord when he allows cancer to ravage your body. exhausting but it's real so what does it prove it proves that it was for good reason that jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself are you willing to do that deny yourself that's painful Take up his cross and follow me. Friend, tribulation and persecution, suffering in this world, requires something of you. It requires 
a rock solid, unshakable root of faith in the promises of God secured and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what it requires of you. And notice why. Verse 17. Why did this seed wither? Because they have no root in themselves. If you're going to persevere in the faith, you must not only receive the word as true, you must trust the word because it's true. You must rely on the word made flesh, Jesus, in every situation, no matter what's going on around you. Take care all you hear, receive the word, trust the word. Lastly, church, carefully obey the word. Carefully obey it. Receive it, trust it. Obey it. Verse 18, look there with me. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Friends, this is my danger. You're looking at it. You want to know Matthew's spiritual danger? You're looking at it. And the reason is that mystery of God's mercy, I have had a relatively easy life. I have not suffered in many of the ways that so many of you have suffered. By the way, That's one of the reasons why it's a privilege to pastor. But if you're like me and a lot of other upper middle class Americans, you don't get off the hook here. Are we willing to accept his word is true? Many of us, yes. Are we willing to trust Jesus because he's true? On some level, aware of our need for him, many of us, yeah. But what about this danger? What about the danger of failing to apply and obey the word? Failing to grow in personal holiness and and helping others do the same? Well, well, why would we not do that? Why, why would we ever not bear spiritual fruit? Well, because we're distracted by the cares of the world. Getting into college, finding a spouse, landing a job, running the business, raising our children. Notice they're good things, but they can distract us. They can distract us. Or we're enamored by Money and possessions. And it's about time all of us stop saying that's just a Wall Street problem. It's not. It's very much a middle class problem. Because we think there's more pleasure to be found in acquiring stuff than in knowing God. Maybe this past week was an exercise, a clinic, in you doing that. Or we're consumed with all manner of of inordinate desires for athletic achievements and physical beauty and professional acclaim, personal convenience and and endless entertainment. And so we get the promotion, finally. We take the dream vacation, 
finally, finally, we fit into a size 6 or a size 4 or a size 2. And in the eyes of the world, you're a smashing success. But you you don't have? You don't have joy. You're a miserable, smashing success. But there's a reason for that. God didn't make you to find your joy in stuff. He didn't make you to find your joy in your job or your kids. He made you to find your joy in Him. He made you to bear spiritual fruit by day by day becoming more like Jesus and helping all the people around you become like Jesus. That's, that's what this spiritual fruit thing is. Don't think, well, wonder what that is. Like Garden of Eden, apple, that's kind of awkward. I haven't grown any of those lately. No, listen, it's simple. Spiritual fruit is you becoming like Jesus and you helping everybody around you become like Jesus. That's spiritual fruit. God made you for that. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you what? Bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciple. Now look at verse 20. Notice the promise Jesus makes. Mark 4.20 But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Look at this. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Let me tell you something. A normal harvest in the ancient Near East this time was somewhere between 5 and 15-fold. A really good year was 10-fold. 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold would have been unimaginable. I mean, people must have heard Jesus say that and think, you drank too much. (laughs) You know, you're nuts. Nobody, physical, spiritual, nobody bears that much fruit. Nobody, Jesus says, except those who obey the word of God in every area of life. But I've made too many mistakes, you say. I've blown it too many times. I'm not like that mom or that husband that has their act together. Guess what? God knows that. You know what else God knows? They have nothing they haven't received. Which means, friends, we need to take care that we don't underestimate the power of simple obedience. When you receive the word, when you trust the word, when you obey the word, receive it, trust it, obey it. You know what happens? A spiritual power is unleashed in your life. And it doesn't come from you. Don't freak out. We're second. I don't. I'm not powerful. You're not. You know where it comes from? The word. Provided you receive it, trust it, and obey it. You do that, a spiritual power is unleashed in your life. John 15, Jesus said, "You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go." Friend, hear the word of God. Appointed you to go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. That's a promise of two things. A lot of fruit 
enduring fruit. Or Ephesians 1. Will I ever bear fruit? I I feel so powerless. I felt powerless to bear spiritual fruit in 2014. I feel powerless to bear spiritual fruit in 2015. Ephesians 1, listen. Listen. Listen to the word of God that is more true than your experience. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What's Paul pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know, hear that, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Christian, do you feel weak entering the new year? Do you feel incapable of becoming more like Jesus and helping anybody else become like Jesus? Do you know what you need to hear? There is a power at work in your life. And it's the power that comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. And it's not a meager power. It's not a partial power. It's not a junior power. It is the power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power inside of you. So enough with thinking, I can't change. That would be as insane as saying, you can't raise Christ from the dead. Guess what? He did. Guess what else? He's going to bear fruit through you. Nothing taps the greatness and fruitfulness of the power of God through the work in the life of a Christian when they are willing to receive it, trust it, and obey it. But you have to do that, friend. You have to do that. You have to take care how you hear. Because four groups of people heard the word. Only one accepted it and bore fruit. And so I challenge you. I challenge you. What what type of soil most resembles the spiritual condition of your heart right now? To whatever degree we have ignored the word or failed to trust the word or failed to obey the word, protect it from distractions, there's only one response it's to repent not in order to to convince god to forgive you but because god's promised that he already will forgive you (laughs) that's why we repent we don't repent to cajole god we repent because he's promised to forgive us he's promised conviction is a gift and i want to especially challenge some of you you look back on the past year and you are aware even right now as I'm preaching God, the spirit of God is making you aware that there are ways that the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches or the desires for other things have choked out your pursuit of spiritual fruit becoming like Jesus helping other people become like Jesus if that's you and God right now is showing you how that's happened 
And we're going to take some time right now to confess that to the Lord and pray for grace to change things. So let's do that.